4: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming
3: up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's Week. It's your club, and this is your show.
2: Well, I joked a bit on last week's podcast that City fans should take every moment to relax when they get the opportunity because there were some stressful times ahead, but my word, I wasn't expecting a weekend like that one. Out of the FA Cup with a disappointing performance against Chelsea before City spent just under 48 hours as one of the clubs seemingly hell-bent on ripping English football apart as the opening shots of a civil war were fired. But just as quickly as City were in the European Super League, they were out of it again in some multi-billion-pound game of hokey-cokey. These events, though, have overshadowed the week somewhat, but there's still plenty to talk about on this week's Blue Moon podcast, as we'll also review the victory at Aston Villa on Wednesday and look ahead to the League Cup final on Saturday. Then there's the small matter of that other European competition that City are still fighting for, with PSG on the horizon in the Champions League semi-finals. But there is only one place we can start for this week with the news with City. It's not often that we begin away from the pitch, but the prospect of that European Super League, of which City were attempting to be one of the founding members, overshadowed everything. I've been taking a look at what happened since Sunday evening.
5: Let's just bring you some breaking news
3: now and an announcement is expected shortly on a proposed European Super League, a breakaway league, which would upend the structures of both domestic and European
5: football as revealed by... Together with
3: six more of Europe's richest clubs, this so-called dirty dozen have schemed to execute a breakaway which will reshape football forever. A plot so audacious. Top story
2: for you this morning. Six Premier League football clubs have announced plans to join a breakaway European Super League.
3: Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United and Tottenham. Have agreed to join six European sides to start a new midweek tournament.
2: And this, this was the news on Sunday night and Monday morning. It was universally panned by supporters of all six clubs and fans in the rest of the football league. City fan Dan Burke spoke on a special Blue Moon podcast earlier this week.
6: There was a point yesterday uh, when the news was first kind of leaking, where it looked like City weren't involved in it. And for those five minutes, I actually felt a, a, a real sense of pride that they were that they were sort of not getting involved in this, and that they were. They were just going to let these clubs go off and, you know, play their own little game. You know, I I just wanted some sort of principled standard. I think it would have been a great PR move from the club, if nothing else, to to kind of, uh, you know, take a stand against this.
2: But City hadn't taken a stand against it. They'd signed up in full to be part of it. Chris Bird was on the board at City roughly 20 years ago. He called this move a power grab and said if he was in the boardroom, he wouldn't be able to stand for it. I resigned in 2003, March
0: 2003, because... Certain areas of the board had become greedy
2: and had become less connected with the fans. And that wasn't for me. So I walked out. If somebody was wanting me to sign off a press release saying what was said about the European Super League and Joe Glazer's quote was in my football club statement, then you'd have to hold something very dangerous to my head to make me press send <laughs> uh, I would have resigned. Even the US talk show host James Corden was talking about it.
1: Making this move, these teams, these owners are killing. They will kill hundreds of other football teams that compete with them and have competed with them many times over the years, disregarding the fan bases of those teams and disregarding the fan base of their own teams who are devastated about these two because the owners of these teams have displayed the worst kind of greed I've
2: ever seen in sport. Corden is a West Ham fan and was speaking on his show, The Late Late Show, on CBS.
1: Football's like a focal point of a town's hopes and dreams. That's what, it, that's what it is, you know? And these dreams, they've just been shattered, not just in Britain, all across Europe. And the reason these dreams have been shattered and discarded is so that a group of billionaires can buy themselves a bigger boat or a second boat.
2: City fans were fuming too. Here's Richard
7: Burns. What was proposed tore at the very fabric of the idea of sporting competition. There are many, many things that that City do that I don't necessarily agree with, but they don't take away the fundamentals of what I enjoy and what I love about football. And this entire proposal um, did do that. And so my, my reaction was that if it was to go ahead, and was to take City away from domestic football, um, that, that would have been it for me. Uh, my, my mind was made up that after 23 years I'm on now of having a season ticket, um, I, I think I would have had no choice but to, but to walk away.
2: Nobody from the six clubs had come forward to speak, leaving the managers to face the music when they spoke in their press conferences. At 1.30pm on Tuesday, it was Pep Guardiola's turn, where he effectively savaged the Super League plans.
8: It's not a sport when the relation between the effort and the success, the effort and reward, doesn't exist. So it's not a sport. So it's not a sport of the success is already guaranteed. It's not a sport and it doesn't matter if you lose. i said many times, I want the best competition as strong as possible, so especially the Premier League. And it's not fair when one team fight, 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 arrive at the top and after cannot be qualified because... The success is already guaranteed for just for few clubs.
2: The idea of it being mostly a closed shop really
8: didn't impress him. People say, no, no, maybe four or five teams can go up and can play these competitions. But what happened in the last 14, 15, play not good, good season, good season, and every time we'll be there. So this is not a sport, it's another issue.
2: He started the press conference by explaining when he found out about the plans. A few hours before the, the statement
8: was released. I think like the other, my colleagues, and they told me he's going to release one statement, but uh, no one speaks clearly and more details what he's going to do, what he's going to
2: to create, and uh, we are still in this position. He repeatedly demanded somebody from the ESL clubs to speak and explain what was going on. I support my club, so
8: I know the people and I'm part of this club, but also have my own opinion. In my opinion, I would love to be clear when I have all the information. Right now, it's just a statement. No one appeared and said anything.
2: But nobody did. And just a few hours after that press conference, news emerged that City were planning to leave the ESL group. By the following morning, all six were out. But did it change the way that fans feel about the
7: club? This was a power grab at the expense of supporters. And if this isn't too grand, it was an attempt to essentially steal the game from supporters in the hope that that the supporters would continue to back them. And what we have collectively stopped is the stealing of our competitive football. And if I, with that in mind, now don't watch the team as I did before, then I have still let these people steal my club from me. So I think there'll be a few games coming up where it's gonna feel a bit different. And some of the way that I talk about the club might change, I I don't know. But I can, I think, watch it with... Um, with a clear conscience.
2: City fan Adam Carter had a stressful couple of days as well.
6: I don't profess to be any bigger City fan than anyone else. That's not the case. But I've got a vested interest from my uh, my stat City page, and I was thinking, dude, is all that good? I've dedicated my life to collating these stats for the club and reporting, spotting trends and analysis. And all of a sudden, that element of my hobby might not be there. Um, I was I was convinced it was the end. In, and that sounds so dramatic, but when you've got banners at the club saying RIP Man City 127 years down the drain and things like that, I was thinking, what do I do now? I thought, well, I could go and watch Stockport County of a, a weekend to get my football fix, but I could never see myself getting passionate about another football club. I don't think I would ever support another club. You, you can't just choose to turn it on and off. If they were going to join that top table and it was going to be a closed club, I don't think I could have got on board with that.
2: After City pulled out of the Super League on Tuesday, they issued an apology to fans a couple of hours before kick-off against against... against Aston Villa on Wednesday. It was from the chief exec, Ferran Soriano, and said they believed that being part of the ESL would give them a voice that was imperative to grow in the future. The email acknowledged that they hadn't thought of the fans, and that they would like to earn back the full trust of their stakeholders.
6: It goes some way to bridging the gap, I think they had to do it. Uh, I don't think anyone's majorly surprised that we've got an apology of some sort. Uh, you'd hope it was genuine we, we want to support our club and we want to be feel valued by them so I'm not going to keep chipping away at every single line and making you know make, making a fuss over nothing I think this needs to be the start now of the club realising that the fans do have a voice I'm just so in awe of all football fans we get a lot of stick and we do a lot of things wrong in terms of tribalism and stuff but this we've got absolutely spot on uh, yeah not surprised that the apologies come out uh, but I hope it's the start of it now and I'm just disappointed with it that we were probably a bit late to the show in terms of uh, issuing the apology
2: but for the apology to mean something Adam thinks actions speak loud. Of words. I'd like cheaper ticket prices now. I
6: think we've been had over a barrel for the last few years, and as city fans, we've just taken it because the product that these owners have delivered to us has been something we've never seen before. I think that'd be a nice gesture to show that they do realize that the fans are the lifeblood of this game and the lifeblood of their product, and that would be that'd go a long way to really making sure that they are on board. They said in the apology that they're going to start building bridges and they want to earn that the, the trust and respect back, and that's a perfect way. If something needs to happen and I think maybe a ticket prize or just a a, a bigger platform for fans to make and have an input in, in future decisions and it's got to go that way now. We've shown how capable we are.
2: City's involvement in the Super League plans lasted less than 48 hours from the initial announcement that they were part of the group to their statement that they were leaving. But you get the impression now that there are some pretty big bridges that need to be rebuilt or at the very least supported between the club and the fans. Hi, this is Andy Morrison, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast.
3: For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.
2: A look at the European Super League news of the last few days there. Let's get the thoughts of this week's panel. I'm David Mooney. I'm joined by two legacy city fans. First up, we've got Rachel Hurtson.
3: Hello, and Curtis Simpson,
2: legacy indeed. Yeah, hi Curtis. Hi David. First off, Rachel, how are you, how are you feeling about everything right now?
3: About the Super League or or city life in general after last night? Well, let's
2: <laughs> let's start with the Super League.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just an absolutely bonkers forty eight hours, wasn't it? When when the news first broke on Sunday afternoon, I was. You know, I think like every City fan, just clinging on to the hope that of the, you know, the, the six UK English, sorry, English clubs, I should say, that have jo- joined as founder members. I think we were we were all kidding ourselves, weren't we, for those few hours that one of them wasn't going to be us. And when news actually broke late at night, well, I think it was around midnight, wasn't it, UK time, that news actually came through confirming, my heart just sunk to be, to be quite blunt. Um, I feel a little bit. Ungrateful. Sometimes, when I sort of reflect back and think about everything that Sheikh Manzor and Caldoun and uh, and you know um, Soriano and everybody has done for us and the, the joy that they've given us over the last ten years, sometimes I think to myself I'm being a little bit harsh on them. But then actually, I think about the reality of what they were signing up to, and like we say, we've already joked about this legacy fans, but that's going to stick for quite some time now in the throats of a lot of people. And yeah, um, I'm 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 pretty disappointed. Everybody makes mistakes, but this one was pretty cat- catastrophic, to be honest. And I thought, be- I thought we were better than that. And I think that's supposed the disappointing thing. I was maybe a little bit disillusioned, thinking we'd always sort of differed ourselves from the fact that we were this family club, and you know, we, we weren't in it for the billions of pounds, and it wasn't run as a business. We still had this, you know, this this um, fan base that the club were looking out, looking after, and looking to appease, and that sort of was all shot to. The proverbial late on Sunday night, to be quite frank.
2: Yeah. Now, uh, Curtis. When I mean, obviously, on uh, Wednesday evening, it was just before the Villa game. uh, Everybody got an email from uh, Soriano, or well, they got an email that was signed by Farron Soriano. Whether it was actually drafted by him is another matter. But you know, it's it's an apology at least from the club. Um, How do you feel about all that? Is is that enough? Now is that done and dusted? Drawn a line under it? I don't. I
9: don't think it is. To be honest, I mean. the the apology was certainly better than some of the other clubs like that liverpool uh, john henry apology was was bordering on bizarre but yeah um i think i think i'm happy with it i keep changing my mind to be honest like it's rounded up all the points that i wanted to to, to hear from soriano but do i really trust him moving forward i'm not too sure i think it's going to take some time for for that to heal certainly
2: yeah. Now, uh, I mean, just in terms of of that, Curtis, what what would you like to see happen next? Is there anything is there anything immediate that the club could do that that, that would make you feel better about the last kind of three, four, five days or so?
9: Um, no, I don't think it's 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 just not going to be immediate. I think what I'm going to need to see is anything that's going to affect fans in in the long term, whether that's um, season ticket freezes or whether it's going to be. Um, <laughs> Fairer cup schemes, that kind of thing. It's going to be a long-term thing. It, I, I'm not going to be won over by a quick fix. If anything, is yeah. that that'd be sort of uh, slightly vulgar at this stage.
2: Yeah. Now, Rachel. I mean, in, in terms of. Uh, has I mean, a lot of people have been talking about their relationship with the club at this stage with with the fact that this was just done without any sort of consultation, the fact that you know it, it suddenly like the fact that it, it was so misread from 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 the club and how the fans feel about it. Um, has it affected your relationship with the club? And if it has, can that be repaired?
3: Um, it it's not beyond repair, but, you know, like many other City fans, I've, I've gone from seething to, to just feeling really hurt and disappointed because, like I said, like I already said, I thought we were a bit better than that. I thought that, you know, I, I appreciate now that, that we are a global business and it's not just about City anymore. Sorry, Man- Manchester City. It's about the City Football Group. And I get all that and I get that not joining might have been commercial suicide, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and, uh, and it'd be really interesting in, in weeks, months to come to see how it all played out in terms of the sequencing, when we were contacted, did did we feel like we were under duress to join because this was only going to be the one and only opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. But it still just irks on me the fact that there was no fan engagement and you think that the fans have carried this club, you know, the, the times that we've had you know prior to the takeover in 2008 you know with the the, the if 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 it wasn't for the fans the club wouldn't even exist anymore in those yeah. dark, you know the loyalty that they showed in those darker times so it is going to take a little bit of repair you know i, I was all for buying my uh, my old season ticket on on monday night to be to be to be honest um you know i i didn't want any part of this anymore and the fact that you know, I know that this sort of legacy fans has been banded about and that might not have been the terminology that City came up with, but they they bought into that vision and, and that that's really, really quite frustrating and upsetting.
2: Yeah, well, it's funny you say uh, your old season ticket, because let's bring in uh, Joe Butterfield from the 9320 podcast and a writer for, uh, with City Extra. Um, Joe, you have decided to give up your City season ticket and have bought one for Oldham. Um this, I mean, I'm guessing this isn't necessarily the end for you supporting City, but you feel like you can't support them financially, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. It, it, it's, I mean, the game last
10: night proved to me exactly that. That I celebrated both goals that went in. Like as much as I've been, as much as I've been very angry at everything that's gone on in the last four or five days, I don't think there's anything that's ever going to really stop me from supporting Manchester City, the club um but certainly yeah from a, from a financial level because the way I, the, the way that I, I i see it is that pep and the players have have done nothing here they've they've not really had any any impact on anything that has gone on um but the money men have and i feel like i i just financially can't support that decision that they've made um it just it, it just feels like it just feels like if I if if I did that if I bought into it and then say when this project comes around again in in eight nine ten years however long it takes I, I don't think they'll I don't think they'll make a different decision I think as long as the the you know commercial opportunities are there that they clearly thought were on the table when this got offered the first time round I think they'll make that decision again and I just don't like the idea that I could be contributing to that and you know who knows it could be uh, it, it I, I, I might I'll, I'll it's not a permanent thing it's nothing like that I just I just wanted an olden season ticket because. I was really looking forward to the idea of going back into the Etihad, and you know, after this year off of not being able to allow it into a ground, just being at a football game again, and it's a bit sad that I, that I feel like I can't do that with City anymore.
2: Yeah, I mean, is is there anything that would entice you back quickly? Is it is it got? To, is it, have you got to see something? I guess from the chairman, the you know, the chief exec, the board, that sort of thing. Just just like they are putting the fans first again.
10: Yeah, I mean, for me. I didn't really know what I wanted from the apology. Um, it was kind of a case of that I, I thought very much that I would know what it, what I wanted when I saw it. And to be fair, I think the apology is 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 fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with the apology that they gave out, but it still doesn't ultimately explain the decision that they made and why they thought it was the correct thing to do. And I'm hoping. Caldoon's end of season review because because it, 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 it's a topic that he can't dodge when it comes to that review. I'm hoping that he goes some way to explaining the reasons why the club made the decision to a join it in the first place and then b back out and sort of show some contrition for what they've done to the fans and and just show that they understand why we hated it. I know that the apology email goes some way to doing that, but at the end of the day, it's just a written statement that could have been written by absolutely anybody in the admin department. I want to see, I want to see Caldoon. Or Soriano, if he wants to do that earlier, I want to see someone who made this decision show verbally and and or via video. You know that that they know
2: what they've done and that they they are legitimately sorry for it. Yeah, there'll be. I mean, there'll be a lot of fans, Joe, as well. That that kind of look at this and say, "Well, I actually think you're being a bit hasty here because they've not had time to prove that that they are sorry and that they they do understand what they've done wrong." Uh, what would you say to them? I understand. I I I I. Th- I've had a lot
10: of I've had a lot of fans telling me over the last sort of 10 12 hours or so that I've I've maybe been a bit too quick to act or that I'm not a real fan because I've dropped at the first sign of anything being wrong with the club and especially with everything the owners have done in the last 10 years or so but it's just it's just sent my head all over the place like it, it, it's it's a really difficult situation to sort of get your head around quickly and I, and I don't think that it's a situation that I will have fully got my head around by the time next season begins i don't think that uh, in terms of renewing my season ticket i don't know if by the time it comes to making a decision to do that or not i will have got my head around it then but i just feel principally and i just feel principally i i just don't feel like i can support financially the what what's gone on in the last in the last few days and I, and i you know if, if if you're a fan who 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 can if you're a fan who is happy with the apology and is just happy to just sort of forgive and forget and move on you know great like, I, I'm not here to tell you what you do and do or don't do with your own your own money and your own time, your own support. But for me, I just feel like this is just something that you know
2: I I I didn't feel like I could get on board with. Yeah, and just finally, Joe. Obviously, um, a, a big part of the 9320 podcast team, uh, writer for City Extra as well. Uh, the fact that you are going to continue supporting from afar, and like you say, you celebrated the goals against Aston Villa. I'm guessing they're going to stay, are they? oh 100
10: 100 yeah i, I can't it, it's so much of my life that, that i just do for for enjoyment as much as anything else i've never I've, not, I've never been paid for anything that i've ever done in terms of city content i, I do it because i love it um so yeah that that stuff will definitely be staying whether i'm whether i'm a boundary park at three o'clock on a saturday or not i'll
2: still be uh, i'll still be doing stuff like that well joe uh, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to speak to us uh yeah and you know thank you for uh, for, for letting us know what you thought cheers thank you very
3: much and under every manager. Just go to statscity.co.uk and browse away. That's statscity.co.uk.
2: Just before we move on to the actual football, because we actually do have some football to talk about, believe it or not. Um, Andy Ragg's been in touch on Twitter. Uh, this this is a question that came in before the apology email went out. Uh, but he said, there has to be accountability. We haven't heard anything yet from City and no doubt we will soon, but someone has to fall on their sword here. Kaldun Soriano, both... It's not just a simple case of saying sorry. They left us out of this decision, and now think that an apology will do. Um, Curtis, what what do you think of that? I mean, obviously, at, at the time of recording, no, there's no nobody has resigned. Um, should somebody resign?
9: Yeah, I was trying to I was trying to process this when when it happened before before the apology came out. I was trying to think what what situation is uh, uh, you know what situation is, have we had before that's been like this and. We, we we just haven't so there's nothing to go off I was thinking it, the closest thing to it is perhaps you know like a, a failed business business merger or something like that and when it does fail I, I guess the executive who was pushing that merger would would generally resign or leave or, or get a golden handshake or whatever but in a way I was thinking you know what this is even worse this isn't like a failed financial um, operation this is a failed like moral operation so <laughs> I think, I think you know. Really, it's got to be. I think Soriano's got to be walking. I mean, for, for as for as much as that he's done for the club, I think, I think morally, he's got to go. Right.
2: I mean, the other thing, Rachel, is is the one thing we have learned this week is that as a collective, football fans have a lot of power, don't we? So, like, I mean, we also have to look on the other side and say, like, we we can't forget to use this power when we need to.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I thought um, Patrick Bamford made a really interesting point. I don't know if you saw him being interviewed the other day, but he said, if only we were so quick to address other issues in the game. You know, we've seen now what the fan power can do and and it's got to be utilised and tapped into to be a a force for good. You know, we're talking about multi-billion dollar industry, you know, leaders of industry industry. Um, reneging on decisions that had already been made. You know they made a 23 year commitment that lasted 48 hours. It's absolutely bonkers when you think about it and break it down. And um, yeah, I think we, we you know, ultimately the the fans led by. You know, you've got to give some credit to, to Gary Neville and and, and possibly Jamie Carriger as well where it's due. That you know they they spoke out, they were vocal, right and led right from the front. So fair play to them. Um, it, yeah, absolutely good to see that fan power is alive and well and, and, and we can actually still have that voice and make that difference. Whether that's going to be formalised in the future, I don't know. I, I do sort of cast my mind back. I, I seem to remember quite some time ago, we did have a fan on the board at City, didn't we? Um, yeah, Dave Wallace. Yeah, Dave Wallace from King of the Kipwaks, yeah. So, you know, whether they'd go that far and actually instigate bringing somebody back in some kind of, you know, sort of ex-officio capacity, I don't know, but maybe it's something for them to think about. that The fact that they just completely overlooked the fans, though, and, and, and didn't anticipate the backlash is just, like I say, that's what's really mind-boggling on, on, on this. And I don't even think necessarily, you know, I, I think ultimately it's probably still the direction of travel for football. It's like I say, it is a business these days and players are assets. And, you know, that's the unfortunate thing. But it is good to know that actually, in spite of all that, fans still have got this voice and this influence,
2: yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk about uh, the actual on-the-pitch matters for this week. Um, because I, I guess, Rachel, as well, um, as soon as Aston Villa scored inside 20 seconds, I mean, you, you must have been fearing that the narrative was going to take over this
5: week.
3: Yeah. Well, to be honest, it, 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 the, the, the whole Super League, you know, coming into coming play and um, breaking up within 48 hours, that has actually proven quite a nice distraction from the, the Chelsea Shit show, shall I say?
4: Yeah.
3: (laughs) Uh, To be quite frank, so um, yeah, it did help me forget that. But yeah, as soon as um, McGinn put it in the back of the net last night, I did think, oh, here we go, and wasn't too sure how we were gonna, um, you know, come back from that. I mean, I suppose you say if you're going to concede, concede early, but for us, sometimes I think that has the opposite effect in that then, you know, straight away you've got ten men behind the ball and something to defend. But fortunately. You know we managed to um put a decent you know a, a pretty decent performance in last night I thought overall I think it we were we were really good we were fluid and foden has just come of age hasn't he I think in the last sort of two three games he's really now sorry two three games where he's been selected I should say to start he's really had a, a really positive influence and um I'm sure we'll come on to that to discuss that in more detail but yeah. it's, it's great to see
2: Absolutely. I mean, the, the thing, Curtis, is like, I mean, even as soon as McGinn scored and and like as Rachel said, there's that there's the thoughts of the fact that, you know, they, the the way they played against Chelsea and the fact that, you know, the, the gap at the top of the table felt like it was closing, even though it's still only 11 points that City needed at that point, And now it's, you know, down to eight. Um, it, it is good to see. The response that city had in that game because it felt like they've needed a response even like with everything going on off the pitch the 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 distraction that that's caused, the fact that they 'd fallen behind and you know in the last couple of times they've fallen behind they've struggled to get back into the game this time it was it, it, it there was a huge response wasn't there
9: oh absolutely, I think if you compare it to the Chelsea game as well, um, you could just tell they were not going to score in those 90 minutes, whereas it felt like after the McGinn goal it was. No, um, we are going to win this game. There was that vibrancy. There was just that drive, just to, no matter what, we are winning this game. Which, you know, I think they did show that against Dortmund in the away leg. To be fair, um, but other than that, yeah, you'd, I don't think there's been too many occasions where they've where they've actually had to come from behind and show that um, that real determination. But yeah, it was definitely good to see, and I think it's something they're probably going to need moving ahead, um, certainly in the semi final. And you know if um, if they fall behind, um, maybe in the Champions League final as well, you, they've already done something similar before. So yeah, it's, it's it's all good experience.
2: Yeah, I mean the the thing is though, Curtis, they are out of the FA Cup with that performance against Chelsea. Um, was it was it was it lost before a ball was kicked? Did he pick the wrong team?
9: Yes, I I, I think so. And I, I understand the logic behind the rotation and you know four competitions is just oh, as we said it's it's, it's it's impossible um but i think what was really frustrating seeing seeing Kev pick up that injury anyway which the one player you don't want to pick him an injury has got the injury so it's just salt in the wound so to speak but yeah i think that that lineup so many out of form players like the front the front three just produced next to nothing um when they needed the goal there was just no Creativity, no drive, no anything. It, it was a tough watch.
2: Yeah, Rachel. When uh, when when the final whistle went against Chelsea, could you? Uh, I mean, it, it seems awful to say this, given as Curtis has just said. There's a reason nobody's ever done the quadruple before. It's not an easy thing to do. It's a near impossible thing to do. Um, but there's still there was still a sense that maybe this season might have been the one for City. They were playing well, and then it, like it was within touching distance.
3: Yeah, I genuinely had started to really, you know, believe it to be to be quite frank. I think I was I was more concerned about Sunday's Carabao Cup final and and, and facing um Mourinho than I was facing Thomas Tuchel to be to be perfectly frank. I think uh, you know, th- there's a lot been said about team selection, but I think what is becoming clear is it's a bit of a fallacy that we've got this real strength in depth because I don't think necessarily we, you know, that seems to be the narrative that the press and the the media will have you believe, but I actually don't think that that is there. You know, you think about Aguero and what a loss he is. Um, Is Jesus really any better than, I don't know, I'm pulling names out of thin air, Patrick Bamford, for example, Ollie Watkins, you know, those are both going to finish on a much higher goal tally than, than Jesus. I, I like Jesus. I think he works really hard, but is he an out-and-out out goal scorer? Probably not. Mendy had an absolutely horrific game against Chelsea. Um, but the reality is, is, is he now, what, third? Maybe fourth? Choice yeah. left back? Um, so, again, I didn't really understand pep picking him and starting him, particularly as well when, you know, in the games that we've played this season, the way that we play in our possession football is, is so... It's such that the, the, the back four are never relentlessly under pressure. I think they are coming off most games pretty much unscathed. I know they have a lot of sort of, you know, if you look at the passing stats, for example, you'll see that it looked like they're quite busy. But the reality is the, the the game is played so far higher up the pitch that a lot of the time I think that actually, I don't think they've got an excuse to be knackered. And I think one of the reasons why Mancini was so successful was because he knew who his best back four were and, and Joe Hart as well. So he he started every week, company and Lescott, and then it was Zab and one of Koloroff or Cliche, depending on who he was fit. Normally Cliche unless unless he was injured. And that was the funda- You know that was one of the fundamental reasons why we won the league that year, because we were so solid. And those players were used to playing with each other. The fact that he rotates it every single week, I know we've got the same system, but to me it's slightly different when, when you're changing the personnel all the time. I don't think we—we we, there is a necessity to rotate at the back as much as Pep is because I don't buy into the fact that they are tired given the number of games that they play. I mean, what do I, you know, I trust him, everything. <laughs> and everything. What, I, I know, listen, the fact that we're even talking about a quad means he's got it right. But at the same time, I just I just don't think that they exude the energy that other players do around the pitch. And therefore, I don't think that level of rotation was was necessary.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, one player, Curtis, who is going to get a bit of a rest for the coming weeks because he's only going to be available for the PSG Champions League game is uh, John Stones. Um, what did you make of that uh, of that situation with the red card? He, was he was he unlucky or should he be doing better there?
9: Um, I think he should definitely be doing better there and I've, I've, I've noticed uh, as, good, as good as he's been, I think he has this lack of concentration maybe when things are a little bit too easy for him or is he expected an easy game or something. He seems a little bit blase. The, the, the McGingle I think is is down to his lack of concentration, not meeting the ball. And clearing it properly. And then I, th- I feel like the uh, the red card was again a little bit of a lack of concentration, thinking he's going to get to the ball and taking the taking the man instead. And for, for me, I th- I think that's definitely a red card. If if that was the other way around and um someone chops a city player in the knee, I'd be I'd be absolutely screaming. yeah, um, yeah so unfortunately, I think yeah, that's a it's a-, a bad game for for Stones. But um, still a brilliant, brilliant season so far.
2: I mean, Rachel touched on the defence and, and and rotating it. I mean, he, he rotated the goalkeeper as well, Curtis, for for the Chelsea game, but it turned out to be a, a goalkeeping error that that ended up with the, with the ball in City's net. Um, do, does he need to do that?
9: Um, I, I'd, I'd say yes, um, purely out of personally for me, i think it's the fairest thing to do is it the best thing to do for the team no definitely not i think particularly with city it's it's a it's a horrible position to 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 swap about it's not you know like any other team um that sort of doesn't play this the same way city you can kind of drop a keeper in there and just they will be a goalkeeper Edison is not just a goalkeeper he you know he does um what he plays almost as like the fifth defender um Asking Stefan to come in and do that, as well as, you know, playing a massive game and trying to concentrate on being a goalkeeper, is uh, it's, it's a massive ask. But in, in a yeah, it, it wasn't great for the for the performance and he made a glaring error. Yeah,
2: well, let's uh, let's focus on uh, the positives, though, to finish this first part of the show because, um, I mean, Rachel, you touched on him before. Phil Foden has been... Well, he, he was pretty much the only shining light of that Chelsea game and then he ran the game at Aston Villa. Um, I, I didn't think it was possible for him to get much better than he did earlier in this season, yet he's still
3: climbing that hill, isn't he? He is, and I think now... He's beginning to have a real influence on the games, whereas previously sort of slotted in and did his bit. He's now, for me, becoming the most important player on the pitch, particularly when De Bruyne isn't in. When Foden and Bernardo start, it just feels like we've got that much more energy and fluidity and we play at a much higher tempo. We're a lot more direct. You know, one great thing about Foden that I, well, there's loads of things that I love about him, but I, I love the fact that he's not afraid to take players on. And it feels like half the time, you know, we, we, we like to pass people to death and it's great to watch sometimes, you know, all these neat little triangles and everything. But, but Foden actually attacks and takes players on. And even when, you know, the, 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 he's, he's failing to get past him, he's getting them sent off. I mean, look at Cash last night. You know, he, had <laughs> a, he absolutely roasted him all night. It gave him such a hard game. And it's funny because my one of my um colleagues at work was t- he's a Villa fan and he was saying today it was, it was men against boys last night. And I'm going, Yeah, but the irony is our biggest man who was our you know is our is it in effect our our boy. You know, he's yeah. he's still it's 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 unbelievable seeing how much he's progressed this year. And you've got to hand some credit and kudos to Pep because you know, you you, you stick the stick that. Phil Foden got when he signed a six-year contract, and you know a lot of the media came out talking about him. You know, signing to sit on the bench for six for six years, and yet now <laughs> in that time he's made himself for for me his number one name on the team sheet.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean that some of the touches, Curtis, there was one I mean, there was one on the wing where it didn't look possible to to control it. And not only did he control it, he then took it round the defender. And then there was one inside the box where it was like he had like six or seven players around him, and he just he just thought, oh no, I'll just spin around a couple of times and get a shot away. I, I don't understand how he does it.
9: <laughs> no, and yeah, I'm I'm willing to commit myself to this, but that that was zidane Um I mean I think with Phil up in Bigging him up a little bit just because he's, you know, he's Stockport and all the, and he's, all the rest of the First players come through and in, in what like eight years or something at City. But last night I was like, this kid is the real deal. For, for me, he's he's behind Haaland and Mbappe in that age group, and and that's it. Every single touch under pressure, he does the right thing, um, and I'm not sure I've seen that before from a player that young. <laughs> it was absolutely incredible. Um, there was another one, I think. Uh, um, I think other than the two you mentioned, where he sort of brought it down on the outside of his left foot, and the player just um, whoever was marking, I think it was maybe may David. Uh, it's not David Louise. Um, L- Louise. Uh, Douglas Louise. Douglas Louise. Louis. Louis, yeah, the one from City. Um, he's just like, oh, no way, he's done that, and he sort of like didn't even attempt to to, to tackle him. He just just let him go. Um, and he's not a bad player, and he's doing that week in, week out. Incredible. Uh, Right, well, uh, Pep
2: Guardiola City are chasing records again this weekend. If they manage to lift the League Cup against Tottenham, then they'll join Liverpool as the club that has won the competition more than any other. They'll also equal the Reds' record of most consecutive League Cup wins by making it four in a row. City have made the League Cup something of their speciality recently. This is their sixth final in eight seasons, and it was the last trophy that they won before a 35-year baron spell. A few seasons ago, we spoke to some of the key members of that 1976 League Cup win.
0: Here they
7: come, and now the 100,000 crowd outside at Wembley for this League Cup final. Do see them. Here come Manchester City on the right, Newcastle
1: United on the left.
4: You know, I'd sort of done it before as a captain, you know, behind Joe Mercer. Uh, so it was special, to be out, out front, right, right in front this time. Tony Book, uh, I managed City and need 76 the final basically you know you want them to be relaxed and uh, um, you know try and relax them as much as possible you know so they don't go out there with any pressure on them you know no not, not that they've got to go and win like you know go and play and enjoy it because, you know, it is an occasion where you, you've you got to go and enjoy because it doesn't happen that often.
0: Hi, it's Joe Royal speaking. I, I played centre forward number nine in the 1976 League Cup final. We'd had a good week away or four days away, I think it was, at Champneys at Tring at, um, you know, a Keep Fit Farm and uh, we, we trained well enough for your fit at that stage of the season anyway.
11: I'm Dennis Stewart. I scored the winning goal the second goal in the 46th minute which turned out to be the winning goal. Most of the people that I knew would be in the Newcastle end because all my friends and family, Newcastle fans, uh, and they were all in the game. Anxiety sets in because you're not sure how you're gonna play, you, you're up for it. You know you wanna prove to the people at Newcastle United that you were a good player because they had rejected
0: you as a 15-year-old. We had a great team spirit anyway. That was never a problem for us, but it, it did keep us together and obviously it worked. Tommy Booth, who actually, was
11: actually a centre-half, it, it came in and, and slotted in very nice on the right side of midfield. So the team had got in a few games together under the belt, and young Jed Keegan, um, a very young boy at the time, coming on the right-hand side, and Peter Barnes on the left. So we had a, a good blend of wealth and experience.
4: There was a lot of changes that I had to make, you know, uh, when I came into the job, you know, because I'd been playing, you know, along with a lot of the players, and to go and win something after, you know, after being in a team that uh, had played so well and won so many trophies. Um, you know, it, it, it was difficult, you know, it was Francis went, Mike went, Mike Somerville and Francis and Colin Bell was injured and uh, Glynn Parlow was injured.
11: Newcastle's main strength was in their midfield. They had Tommy Cassidy and Tommy Craig, so we knew we'd have to compete in there, but on the day I thought um, that our three midfield players, in particular Alan Oakes, Asa Hartford and Tommy Booth, were outstanding on the day.
4: The thing I remember mostly about the goals is that the first one, you know, was rehearsed. You know, it was a a free kick and uh, they picked out uh, Mike Doyle, you know. It was a set piece worked out uh, on the
11: training pitch
0: and set up perfectly. You like to take something new into a final and there was a bit of
11: blocking off. Peter Barnes and I were at the the, the near post with Mike Doyle standing on the D of the penalty area. Jed Keegan went over the, and dummied the ball He went over the top All our three players then ran from the far post To the, to the near post Asa Hartford
0: then hit a the great far post free kick Doyle, peel round the back And he was terrific in the air Mike had a great standing leap
4: He headed it back across goal for, for Peter Barnes to finish Hartford with it though, yes They're
1: playing it across there
4: towards Mike Doyle Who got the header in
1: Might come anywhere Yes, it's there By Peter Barnes the 19-year-old has put Manchester City into the lead. Peter Barnes, the man who scored
11: it. We'd lost possession in midfield, and they had two or three passes. To Michael McDonald down the right. Ball drilled across the face
0: of the goal, and Alan got across, Dave Watson to toe poke it in. And then, of course, they equalised, which wasn't really in the script, and, you know, it, it took us a while, really, to get hold of the game again. But by the end of the game, we, we'd won, of course. Dennis had got the... overhead kick. It's
4: not very often you know you see that in the final. Uh, It was it was a special, special goal from a special player.
11: The beauty of of having Tommy Booth in the uh, in the team on the right side whenever we tacked down the left you know Tommy made his made his run to the far post and Tommy was fantastic in the air Uh, and I go I just tucked in hoping for something knocked back and when the, the ball came in from Tommy you know I had my back to the goal and volley side volley side foot whichever just got some good contact you know where the goal is. The goal doesn't move. Poster still. Um, you know, came behind me. And I'd always been pretty good at volleying. Um, I've scored about four goals overhead kicks, you know, so um, I was quite comfortable doing it.
0: Barnes outside him. Donnerkee prepared, though, to float it in towards Tommy Booth.
1: Oh, and what a goal! By Chuart! What a goal! Dramatic overhead kick, Joe Corrigan can only look and wonder himself at the other end. Tewart, a really
4: spectacular goal. I never started till I was basically 32. And, you know, uh, won two or three trophies as a, as a player. And then all of a sudden as a manager, you know, you, you, go, you go there again in a final. And uh, to win it, as I say, was something special because, you know... Uh, I knew the chairman at that time was Peter Swells and he was a hard man to please. Um, but, uh, you know, I looked up there and I, I, I can remember him waving out to me, you know, and clapping his hands, like, you know, uh, as much as say, yeah, well, you've done it, So
11: When you get rejected as a 15-year-old, um, sometimes it does make you more um, aggressive, more... Um sure and, and confident and, and making sure that he, people see that uh, you were a good player and from from me it was a, a lot of self-satisfaction even though you've beaten, I'm beating my hometown team but it was just to send a message out to, to the football club, Newcastle
0: football club that they missed a good player. It was a deserved win in the end, we were the better side, we knew that and, and we'd gone on to to prove that. I exchanged shirts with Alan Kennedy before I went up to
11: collect a tankard. Uh, I forget who was presenting, but the, the, you said, No, oh, you, you you can't have yours yet, you're a Newcastle player. And somebody explained, I just swapped shirts, so I did get my tankard in there. Uh, I took the cup full of uh, champagne with my Newcastle shirt on into the Newcastle dressing room and just went around the lads and just, you know, Malcolm in particular, and Tommy Craig, because I knew them anyway, just to give them a drink and say, you know, well done, it was a great effort, and just say how well both sets of supporters enjoyed it.
0: I think he spent more time in their dressing room in a Geordie shirt, you know, with the cup, so. No, he, he certainly uh, hugged this and enjoyed it. Mike Doyle, receiving the cup
1: from the Earl Marshal, His Grace the Duke of York. Peter Swale smiling there, the Manchester City
0: chairman. And Manchester City at white. The City faithful will be well and truly tried during those 35 years. It's, it seemed to be up and down, and down as low as the third tier of English football, of course, when I was manager and then back up to the Premier League and, and then of course the, the money influx which is send them Galactic so it's never ever been boring supporting City
1: The happiest moment of any footballer's career
0: Hi there, this is Joe Royal speaking you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast and carry on doing so
3: Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast
2: some of the players there from the 1976 League Cup win, um, Curtis. This one, I mean, we we talked about Zach Stefan earlier on. Guardiola's already said that Stefan will play in this one. Um, we talked about the rotated squad for the the Chelsea game. You know, with, with the, the the fact that they've got PSG on the horizon. Do you worry that this might
9: not be a strong team? I do. I do worry. Um, I think KDB is pretty much ruled out, isn't he, at this point. Um, I've heard some rumours that he may be fit, but more likely they're going to save him for, for PSG. Um, I think if he takes out some of the big performers of the last couple of weeks, so Foden, Mares, Bernardo, um, Diaz, then, yeah, I think it, it is going to be an issue. If we if we keep the key performers and maybe rotate some of the other guys, I think it could be a different case. Um, yeah, uh they're going to need some energy in their legs against PSG and I think that's going to be the one Pep's going to want to win and I know he always says oh I take one game at a time which is absolutely no way he's not thinking about PSG (laughs) so um, yeah I do fear the rotation and I fear if Tottenham get a quick start it's it's going to be another tough task
2: Yeah I mean Rachel you said you were worried about facing Spurs with Mourinho Uh, how are you how are you feeling about them without Mourinho? Yeah
3: well, yeah, it's that that bounce bounce back ability, isn't it? Is that what they call it? Bounce ability. when the new manager comes in, and yeah. They wanna yeah, want to prove themselves. I mean, I know they they played. I watched them the highlights last night. Match of the day against Southampton, and they looked like they were pretty vulnerable at the back. Um, we've just got to be clinical and take our chances, um, which I know we're, we're guilty of not always doing. Um, I think Is Kane definitely out.
9: I think he is out. I think yeah. Yeah. Uh, Check before you think I think he might be 50-50. Oh, that means right. he's fit, then doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> That's how these yeah. things work.
3: Listen, if we if we play to our best, we we you know we've got nothing to worry about. But you know, thinking about the the disappointment last Saturday night, I am not taking anything for granted. I, I appreciate that we've got a game on Wednesday and it's a massive game. There's no two ways about that. But at the same time, this is a chance to win, you know, a one-off game and it wins us silverware. And you know, whereas that, you know the league cups probably become a little bit more special to city fans over the last few years given how many times we've won it we've now got this almost ownership on it haven't we so i think it's um, it it's, it's probably a, a tournament that we we, we really want to win and you know at the minute we've talked about quadruple we've none we've won nothing yet this is a, a one-off game and an opportunity to to change that I yeah, I, yeah I, I I was worried about Mourinho though because he is a trophy machine. You know, you think about some of the teams he's managed, some of the performances that he's put in. He knows how to win one-off games. I always remember it was into in, into Milan in the final, wasn't it? I think in the um, Champions League final uh, when they went when they just defended and, and you know, didn't play pretty football, but but won the game. Uh, yeah. And I thought that was exactly how he would envisaged him. You know, he, he would have set up and. You know, I think he's got a decent record against Pep as well. I, th- I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he has. So, so I wasn't. I I, I was quite glad when you know the new, When I say the news broke, obviously it all got buried given everything else that was going on at the time. But I th- um, yeah, I'm I'm glad that he's not in charge on Sunday. Put it that way.
2: Yeah, I mean that, that's interesting, Curtis. This, this is the first game that uh, a City game that could have fans at it since uh, since since before Christmas. Um, is that going to affect the game? Do you think?
9: Yeah, I, I, I imagine so. So the players have been um, making some statements around how, how keen they are for the for the support from 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 the fans. So it, yeah, yeah, definitely, David. I imagine so. Um, particularly, you know, for a cup final, it, I'm hoping I will give them that extra that extra bit. Um, not having him for so long, sure, it's just going to be going to be a positive just to hear him.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, is, is either of you going? I, I don't know if, any, if either of you have applied for for tickets.
9: No, no, not not, not myself.
3: Me, me neither. I've got no interest, to be honest. I just, I find Wembley a pretty soulless place at the best of times. So as much as it's an opportunity to, you know, hopefully witness history and you can look back and say, tell your grandkids I was there and all the rest of it, for me, just doesn't appeal. The whole sort of Clinical nature of having to have tests and travel on, you know, specified routes and times, and yeah, it's just it's not for me. I'm afraid it's not what the match going experience is all about.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a shame because I'm not ready either. So none of us can talk with uh, with with that sort of eager anticipation of having to go to a game. But you know,
3: <laughs> yeah,
9: is that you know I can I can completely agree. Like you don't want to be thinking about, um, oh, can I touch this? Can I touch that? Oh no, where's the hand gel? That's the last thing you want to be thinking about as you're on the way to to a massive game. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, we'll get your predictions for that shortly. But first, uh, let's look ahead to the game with PSG. And the last time City met PSG in the Champions League, it was a tight affair in the quarterfinals. And it was a City side that had been perhaps underperforming a little bit in the Premier League in Manuel Pellegrini's final season. Things have changed a bit now, though, and City are heading to the Parc de Princes with genuine hopes of getting to the final. But after beating Bayern Munich, are PSG feeling the same? I've been speaking to Ed, the founder of PSG Talk, to find out.
5: Yeah, so this season's kind of been a little bit of a rollercoaster. Coaster. You know, the assumption is Paris Saint Germain just dominates the French league and it's it's kind of a foregone conclusion. Um, But that's far from the case this season. Um, Right now, PSG are in second and they've been chasing Lille for for weeks now, if not months. Um, We are within one point of catching them, um, but we also have Monaco right on our tails, just a point behind PSG. So, unlike other seasons, It's been a really tight battle in Ligue 1. We've got eight losses, um, which is pretty unheard of in the French League. Um, But somehow, maybe it's the more competitive nature of the French League um, has translated into better performance in the Champions League. If you can think back to the, the group stage, PSG were arguably in the group of death with Leipzig and Manchester United. And then they had to play Barcelona, took care of them, and then Bayern Munich. Um, we saw what happened there. We just uh, squeaked by them a 3-3 and uh, advanced on a way goal. So um, it's been an up and down season, but when the bright lights have come on, PSG has shown up and it's kind of felt like a little bit of a different PSG. You know, in previous years, people maybe, you know, bottling it. Um, and I think it's what they say over there in England, um, but not this season. They've, they've shown up when the bright lights are on, which has been a pleasant surprise.
2: I do think it's, uh, in a weird way, I think it's funny that these two sides have met in the semi-final this time because uh, the same sorts of things could be said about City in the Champions League and the, the same sorts of, uh, you know, that City have never managed to, well, they've once managed to make the semi-final and that's it. And it feels like there's a lot of pressure on City to perform in the Champions League. Is that the same for PSG? Is there a lot of
5: pressure on them to do well in the Champions League? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And for both of these sides, you know, they have these owners that came in and, they put a lot of money, a lot of investment, and the goal is to win the Champions League. Nothing else really matters. It's nice to win a Coupe de France. It's nice to win the league. Those are kind of, you know, you start out with that, but really, ultimately, the goal is to win the Champions League. You don't bring in Neymar and Mbappe for that not to be the goal um and it is interesting the last time these two teams met in the champions league uh, way back i think it was 2016 and manchester city was able to reach the semifinals by beating psg it was tight it was three 2 an aggregate two city um and i think we're, we're probably looking for another close battle between these two sides and we'll see who goes to uh the final it should be fun
2: I'm just looking again, just looking at uh, the league on table, and uh, as you say, I mean, uh, Leo at the top, um, you know, four points ahead of Leon in fourth. Um, there's a real title race going on in uh, in France at the moment. Is that is that helping PSG or is it is it a hindrance? Given that, I mean, okay, notwithstanding any punishments for trying this breakaway competition that City were, were involved in, uh, City are comfortably at the top of the table and can focus on the Champions League now. Is that is that a worry at all?
5: You know, in previous years, it's always been, if you put any credence in what the media says and pundits, they've always said PSG have failed in previous years in the Champions League because their league is so weak, because they don't have to get up for it week in, week out, That then it's difficult for them to turn it on against a Barcelona, a Bayern Munich, somebody like that. But that's not the case this year. And I don't know if there's really a correlation there. Maybe it's just the way, maybe the players are gelling together more, maybe more experience. You've kind of lived those past experiences, those failures, and now you're finally putting it together. But if you listen to what a lot of media say and the pundits, um, then maybe there is something to it. Maybe playing these tough games domestically is translating into better performance in the Champions League. You know, a lot of times, um, teams are coming to PSG Stadium, the Parc de Prince, and they're not afraid of PSG. They are not sitting, you know, nine men behind the ball. They are attacking PSG. They're putting PSG under pressure. And so maybe that certainly, at least for the defense, is helping Presnel Kimpembe, Marquinhos, get more experience and, and just have that muscle memory so that they can then translate that in the, into the Champions League. Yeah, I'm um, just looking at this one
2: from a city point of view. How do how does City hurt PSG? Where where are PSG the most weak?
5: Yeah, I would say we're PSG are probably the most weak uh, in the fullback position. Um, we've had a lot of injuries there um, against Bayern Munich. We had to rely on Colin Dagba, probably a lot of your listeners probably aren't even that familiar with the young Frenchman. Um, Juan Bernat is as a Spain international, but he's he suffered a, a pretty serious. Injury and so he has been out for most of the season. I was just looking at a recent medical report, and he's he's making his way back, he's in training, but he's our starting left back, so he's been out, and so we've been having to rely on for the knockout stage pretty much in pretty much all of the Champions League on backup and sometimes even third string fullbacks, and so I think with Manchester City, you know, you look at Raheem Sterling, for example, someone with pace that can get down the wing and really cause a lot of problems. Um, I think that's a player that I'm most worried about. Phil Foden, absolutely. He's another player I think that can hurt uh, PSG. Anyone that can play out on the wing with pace, I think is going to cause PSG some troubles. Yeah, who uh, who are PSG going to be relying
2: on? I mean, we saw in the last round the influence that uh, that Mbappe and and uh, especially Mbappe, but uh, but Neymar can have as well. Is there anybody else in that squad that you think if if they don't play, we're in trouble?
5: Yeah, um, it, it's all about the attack for PSG right now. Um, Mario Cardi just scored a game-winning goal against Etienne and in the last seconds of a league on match to keep PSG in this title race. He, he's a player that has kind of been in and out of the lineup, out of the squad due to various injuries. Um, and so I think he's a player that if he were to come off the bench, he's a classic number nine, isn't he? I mean, he, if you give him the service, he he can get a, a, his head on the ball and just score those tap-ins. He's a lot like Olivia Giroux. I know Premier League fans will um, – They'll be well aware of of his skill. And so I would liken Mario Cardi to him. Um, Moise Keane um, is another player, Everton. He's at PSG now on loan. He's another player who can come off the bench if he doesn't get the start alongside Mbappe and Neymar. And and he can be deadly as well. Um, In that Bayern Munich match, you didn't get to see a whole lot of um, Marco Verratti. And I think if he was playing for any of the big Premier League teams, he would be unquestionably one of the best most talked about midfielders in the world. I mean, he kind of already is, but I think if he was, you know, in a, in a league that was maybe better marketed, more people would know him and understand his talent. And with him coming back, he, he missed that tie against Bayern um, due to COVID with him coming back and getting his fitness. He's a player that I think could cause a lot of damage because he really makes PSG work as a whole. He controls that midfield. He can distribute, he could track back. He, he's kind of, he does everything now. He does sometimes pick up a silly yellow card and he can be a little emotional on the pitch, but on his day, he's world class. So I think he's another player City should watch out for.
2: Yeah. Just finally, Ed, uh, we've got a charity bet coming up uh, on the show.
5: Um, what's your score prediction for uh, the first leg of this game? Oh, okay. So the first leg is going to be at the park, which I, I mentioned earlier. PSG have not performed that well this season. Hmm. I'm going to say. Let's go 1-1. One, one. We'll leave it all for the return leg. I'll go 1-1. One, one.
4: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But oh, don't worry, it'll be over soon.
2: That was Ed from PSG Talk. Um, Rachel, this, this is one. I mean, I, I, I know obviously there's a cup final before it and, and everything like that. Um, does, this, do, does this tie kind of depend on the result of the cup final as well?
3: No, I think it'll be completely independent from it, to be honest. I think, you know, obviously winning a trophy would give us that massive, give us that lift. But ultimately, you know, make no bones about it. This is the trophy that the club won. You know, Premier League, we've you know, we've won, won it four times now since the owners came in. A fifth would be great. But ultimately, I think this is the one that I suppose shows that we've arrived on the global football scene, which is, you know, I'm given we've never won it before. I think it's it's really important to get that monkey off our, our back. So, so for me, it's it's the, the the biggest game of the season, and it'll be treated that way as well. Which is why I think you know, as Curtis said earlier on, you know, you can Pep talks about only thinking about one game at a time, but there is no way on God's green earth he's not thinking about when, uh, Wednesday when he's picking Sunday's team.
2: Yeah, I mean, Curtis, you mentioned uh, De Bruyne before. Um, I mean, how important is his fitness for
9: this PSG game? Massive, absolutely massive, particularly with Aguero out. I think we need, um, I forget what the the phrase is that Pep uses, uh, guys who can sniff the goal. Um, I think we need those guys who are absolute killers, whether it's going to be a killer pass or to be clinical in these in these massive games where you're not going to get the big so many big chances like we would do against um, some of the teams in, the, in in the prem um so i think he's absolutely key to to progressing through to this
2: yeah, I mean, I, how much do you fear Mbappe and Neymar, Curtis? Because I, like, I, I have bad memories of Mbappe running riot for Monaco at the Etihad. Um, Neymar, City have kind of dealt with in the past fairly well, but but Mbappe just terrifies me. I'm not going to lie.
9: Yeah, and there's there's no two ways about it. But this this is what what you have to face when you get to the stage of the competition. Um, he's a fantastic player in a fantastic team. I'm sure the city players will be well aware and well aware that they need to be these kinds of players um, to progress through to the final and achieve this mat- achieve um, what they probably dreamed of achieving when they were when they were kids. So, I think it's probably more of an issue for the fans than it is for the players, which reassures me a little bit.
2: Yeah, uh, when you look at um, City in this competition, Rachel. I mean, uh, like like Curtis just said, there uh, they've y- y- there's almost it almost feels like they've had a little bit of a, of a stumbling block in this competition. And yet this season they've played so well in so many of the games. It's almost like they've, they've made that mental step without having had to, to, to kind of beat anybody to do it. And then the Dortmund game comes along and they fall behind and they come from behind and win that away in, in Germany. And you're thinking this City team could, like if they carry on like this, they could go on to big things, couldn't they?
3: Yeah, and, and to be honest, I don't think we'll ever have a better chance of winning it not just because of where we are in terms of how well we're playing, but also because, you know, teams that you'd feared in the past aren't what they used, to, the forces that they used to be. So you look at, you know, and I'm hoping this ain't going to come back to bite me. If we, I was going to say, be, be very better.
2: careful about what yeah, you're about
3: yeah. to say now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, I'll take Barcelona as an example um, instead, of, instead of Real Madrid. But they're, they're not the team they once were. They're not the force they once were. Um, so, so it, it does feel to me like there is actually more of, of an opportunity there. I do think as well that, um, you know, we're, I keep on looking at Paris Saint Germain and I watched them against Bayern Munich and they were, you know, Mbappe and Neymar were, were frightening. You know, the, the speed and the chances that they created was just, you know, something else. But they also looked fairly vulnerable at the back as well. You know, Bayern did have chances. So, I think it's going to be a really, really interesting game, and you know, you can cast, you cast your mind back to that Real Madrid game, um, again um, when Pellegrini was in charge. The biggest disappointment for me that night was that we just didn't go for it. We didn't even really turn up, and even at the end when we just needed a goal, we didn't try and change things. So, I just hope more than anything. We come away with our heads held high, knowing we've given it all over the two legs. You think about Chelsea on Saturday, everyone's come away really disappointed because nobody minds losing. It's the manner of the defeat. The manner of the defeat on Saturday was poor because we'd never looked like we were that interested or had that many ideas or didn't try and change it. So I just hope the same doesn't happen over the course of the two semifinals. I think we've got a real chance this year.
9: Yeah. Um, Curtis, are you nervous yet? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> the more we're speaking about it, the more nervous I'm getting. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I think this is one of the first times I've been really, really nervous in the Champions League because I feel like we're so close this time. We've got past the hoodoo of the quarterfinal. It feels like it's in reach, whereas the, the other times we've got to this stage, it's been a little bit like, well, certainly for the Leon game, I was a bit like, well we should be winning this I'm not too nervous whereas I should have been <laughs> but, uh, yeah because, it's, because I can almost feel it I'm really nervous to be honest yeah, well it's
2: time to get some predictions on the board and Simon Bykovsky won uh, his charity bet on uh, last week's show predicting the 2-1 winner Aston Villa he uh, has taken the total for this season up to £1,135 so let's see if we can't add to that each of the panel gets a £10 correct score single with William Hill, all the money is going to the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester um, I'm going to start us off for this Spurs game, I've gone for a 2-1 City win which is 13 to 2 and £65, uh, Rachel what do you have for this one,
3: I've got a three-one city win.
2: Uh, that's eleven to one and one hundred and ten pounds, Curtis. Three-two city, uh, Curtis actually, what you three-one as well? But you got there a bit, little bit too late. So uh, three-two is uh, twenty-five to one and two hundred and fifty pounds if you're right. Uh, the odds for the PSG game aren't out yet, so uh, we'll have to. You'll have to keep an eye on our Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast uh, to get those. As we heard earlier, Ed from PSG Talk uh, predicted a one-all draw. Rachel, what have you gone for?
3: I've gone 2 all. I think there's goals in this one.
2: 2-2. Two, two. And uh, Curtis?
9: I'm going to go 2-1 PSG.
2: 2-1-2 uh, two, two, PSG? Yep. Yeah oh there we go but uh, that away goal could be crucial so uh, let's see what happens Uh, remember you've got to be 18 or over to gamble prices can change and for more on responsible gambling have a look at begambleaware.org we're going to finish with ask the panel get your questions in for future shows on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast you can email us as well through the website bluemoonpodcast.com and you can find us on Instagram just search for Blue Moon Podcast there Uh, Chelsea has been in touch first through Instagram to say Erling Haaland's blue rucksack aside considering City's record signing is less than 70 million million pounds who is a more affordable new striker for next season i can't see city throwing down over 100 million for harland or kane uh, rachel I, I, do you suspect city are, are, are in the position where they are going to just just kind of smash their transfer record for a star striker because i mean you were talking before about not having aguero and and, and whether jesus could do the job and, and and how he plays do you see city going big this summer
3: i think we've got no choice I think we've got no choice. Well, at the same time, I don't think we'll ever be held to ransom. You look, you look at Van Dijk and I remember we get, we, we had a price in our minds as to what we thought he was worth and we didn't pay it. Now you can argue about the merits of that and you can argue about the merits of there being a price for most clubs and a, and a almost like a, a tax because it's City and we're owned by billionaires and everything else. But for me, I, I don't think we, we, we've we got to go out and get a striker Um Haaland, Mbappé, Kane, all these names that have been linked with, they're all going to be mega money. There's no two ways about it. But part of me thinks about someone like Ruben Diaz. He came in relatively under the radar for me. I don't think he was necessarily that highly sought after. And yet for me, he's turned our season around. So I would really like to get somebody who is a little bit under the radar, but we know can do a good job. Who that? Per- I know you're going to ask me who now, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that would be my preference as as opposed to getting you know going all out and spending 120 million on on Haaland or whatever it is. Who who you know over those two legs against us? Let's have it right. Got outshone by Foden.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, you, you don't have to worry. I'm not going to ask you to name names because I, uh, I, I'll i do that for the journalists. I think the journalists should have some, some insight into things, but uh, but the fans, I'm not going to force them to, uh, to to have to watch anything other than City, so don't worry about that. Uh, that being said, Curtis, have you got any names to suggest for us? <laughs> well, but,
9: uh, um, I know there's the uh, young lad, da- uh, Darwin Nunes, you? Who- He's got the fantastic stats uh, for goal contributions, uh, goals and assists, and all the rest of it. I don't know how how, how far you you take you know pure statistics, but um, other than those three you mentioned, I guess I guess he could be the guy. Um, it, it's so hard trying to replace that Aguero um, sort of chasm. I think anybody, even Haaland or an Mbappe coming in, would would have would have a hard time just stepping in, and and getting those goals. But out of three, I think I'd, I'd be. Going towards Haaland. Yeah. Well, uh,
2: let's. Uh, we have got two more questions now to come in uh, a, a, a kind of similar vein. First off, Zin Chunky on Twitter says, uh, I think we really should bring through delap He's been phenomenal and he'll be a good talent if we bring him up and start getting him used to the senior squad. What do you think? And uh, David Grant on Twitter also says, obviously, a new striker will be coming in, but what does that mean for Jesus and DeLap? Given Pep's seeming reluctance to play one striker, let alone two, does one of them have to move on to get first team football? Um, we've talked a little bit about Jesus already, uh, Rachel. What about DeLapp? What What do you see for him in in kind of the coming seasons? He is he's incredibly young still, isn't he?
3: He he is, yeah, he is. But uh, again, you know, there's there's so many players who sort of get to this level and then go and make a career elsewhere because they're not considered to be, you know, the the superstar talent that we need. So when I think about people like that, I'm thinking about. Um, Toasting Adebayoro, for example, you know he's obviously gone away and carving a, a career out at Fulham, and I believe he's, you know, despite their position on the table, I'm, you know, when I've seen him, he's done okay. Um, and you know, it, it, there's so much expectation now on on City in that, you know, it's great that Foden's come through and he's obviously, you know, is is revered and and has the potential to be world class, and that's what we want to see at City now: world class players. I've not seen enough in the lap yet to think that he can reach those heady heights. That said, I think a decent striker in our team, when I think about some of the chances that we've, we squander, I think a decent striker in our team, they've got so much creativity and so many playmakers that it would be an absolute dream for any striker to play, to, to play in. And, um, you know, you're almost guaranteed goals because of the number of chances that we actually carve out every week. Whether lapse that person or not, I, I I don't know. I think, I think Pep, if he was thinking like that, he might have shown a little bit more faith in him this season and got him more involved.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say uh, Curtis. He has only just turned eighteen, so it's like hey, you think where Phil Foden was when he was eighteen. He he was he was you know being given all these plaudits and still being very slowly introduced to the city side. Uh, do you see the La- kind of he can't surely be the be the sort of player that will come into the team next season and play 15 20 games can he
9: no, and I think that would be unfair to, to burden him with with something like that. Just it, it, could, it could break him, I think. Not that he seems like that kind of character, but it's not something you'd, you'd want to put him through anyway. Um, I think, yeah, like you say, I think it'd be very similar to to what Foden did. And I think Pep's actually already said that he's um, going to train with the first team um, day-to-day anyway. So hopefully start picking up things like, like Foden did. Um, hopefully shadowing. Um, some amazing A-list striker that we've got in. Um, and I think that is, that'll be his ultimately his best route to becoming a first-team player, maybe for the season after next.
3: He might benefit from an, a period on loan as well, you know, in, a, in, in one of, I don't know, in the Championship, for example, if he wants to be playing, you know, like you say, he's only 18. There's a lot a, a, a lot of football for him to be had yet, but that's where I see him probably getting the, the biggest development is is obviously... I always remember Daniel Sturridge signing for Chelsea. And at the time, it was when Torres and Anelka and possibly Drogba were, were all there. Were they all there at the same time? I think they might have been.
4: Yeah, and it I must remember, be close.
3: Yeah, and I remember thinking, wow, you've got three amazing world-class players to be learning off there. But actually... We don't have that embarrassment of riches up front anymore in terms of strikers for him to to, to really be, you know, learning his trade from. And don't get me wrong; obviously, Aguero's the best, but he's, he's clearly moving on. So, so so maybe it might benefit him on going out for, you know, on going out on a loan.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you to my guests, Rachel Hudson. Thank you. And Curtis Simpson. Cheers mate. If you'd like a little bit more then we're going to be talking about the players who have history with both City and PSG in the Premier League era that's over on our Patreon page just head over to patreon.com forward slash bluemoonpodcast and there you can also get ad free versions of the show as well don't forget to give the show a rating and a review in all the usual places but especially on Apple Podcasts if you can I'll be back next week where hopefully we can focus a little bit more on the football see you then